Shabbos Perik Base Mishnah Hay two five. Hamachabe esaner. If a person extinguishes a lamp, b'pnei shuv misyara b'pnei hagoyim b'pnei listim b'pnei ruachra v'mishvil achol sheyashan. If he did it because he's afraid of Gentiles who ultimately might kill him, or robbers who ultimately might find him and kill him, or ruach ra—that's some sort of mental illness where if he doesn't get some darkness and peace and quiet and peace of mind, um, he could actually um, even die. And the chola, the sleeping person, the, the sick person, excuse me, that he could sleep, again, because we're understanding that the, without sleep he's at risk of death. In all those cases, pater, one's, the literal meaning is he's exempt, meaning there's no carbon to be brought. Because in all these cases, one is actually permitted to do this. These, as the bartender explains it, are cases of... of uh, either pikuach nefesh or suffix pikuach nefesh, um, there's a potential risk to life, and in such case, one is allowed to to do malacha, even malacha deraisa. Now, um, it's strange that the Mishnah used the word patur, which means exempt, because, as I said before, in Hilcha Shabbos, patur usually means patur of al-asur, that one is exempt from the consequences of breaking Shabbos, meaning no chatas, let's say, um, but still, he's violating Isra Durabanan. However, here, um, Pater means Pater in as much as it's actually Mutter, permitted to do. And the reason why the Mishnah chose the word Pater instead of Mutter is to contrast it to the next part of the Mishnah where it talks about Chayev. So the antonym, the opposite of Chayev is Pater. Um, the antonym of, of uh, Mutar is Asur, forbidden. So since the Mishnah is Contrast the first part to the second part, saying the second part is chayev, he'll be chayev for achatas. So the first part, it chooses the word pater, even though it means actually mutter. Now, just what are the cases here? Mithne goyim, from the Gentiles, the concern is, um, for example, in the time of the, the Jews lived in, in Persia. So the Persians, they were Zoroastrians, and they had essentially, um, they worshipped sort of two gods, God of light and God of darkness. And in certain holidays, you were disallowed um, from having light anywhere other than in the temple, the, the the temple of, you know, the idolatrous temple. And so if a Jew on Friday night had a candle burning in his house, he was actually subject potentially even to be killed. And that's the case, for example, here. List him, robbers come to, you know, search and find you, and if they catch you, God forbid, therefore you'll extinguish it. Um, Ruach Rai said is, is some sort of mental illness, and again, risk of life. And the whole, the sick person here is who needs sleep. This is, again, a person who the ra- who the doctors advise that if he doesn't get proper sleep, then he's at risk to life, and that being the case, um, we can turn the lights off so he can sleep properly. Okay, next part of the Mishnah says, If the reason why a person extinguishes, extinguished the flame is because chas um, means to have like pity or mercy. The point is he wants to save the nair. So for example, let's say, you know, if you have... We had the experience on Hanukkah. You set up the wicks, and the wicks touch the glass receptacle in which the oil is, and they can actually make the glass shatter. So, if, for example, you think that the lamp is going to break, you want to sort of spare the spare the, the lamp so you can use it again. So you extinguish the flame to save your lamp so you can use it a second time. Kachasal shemen means that you um, want to save the oil for using later on. You don't want to get oil used up. Kachasal psila, saving the wick. Again, the idea here is that. When the oil runs out, then the, then the wick will run down and get burned. So if you if you put it out sooner, then the wick won't get burned. You can use it a second time. In all those cases, chayev, in those cases, you're, you're liable, meaning you've done the malach of machabe, of extinguishing, and that's subject to the penalty of, of uh, 
if it's bemazed, then there's kares or or skila, and if it's beshogig an accident, um, then again you have to bring a chatas, a korban chatas. It's a little peculiar that the choice of words is kechas. The word chas means to have pity. Kechas means as if he's having pity, um, which is a little peculiar. There's a great um, thing said in the name of the gra that it's kechas. It's only as if he is saving money because since your expenses on Shabbos anyways come back to you, so you think you're saving money by extinguishing the flame and having the lamp or the oil or the wick to use another time. But the truth is, even if you would have let it burn the whole way through, as you're normally required to do, so then you get the money back anyway, so actually you've gained nothing, you've saved no money by extinguishing it. Therefore, it's not chas, but kechas, as if he was saving money. Um, in any case, the Tanakam holds your chayev for doing that, because that's mechaba. But Rabbi Yossi poter b'kulam. Rabbi Yossi says, no, you're not chayev, you're actually pater in all those cases. Chutzman apsila, with the exception of the extinguishing of the flame in order to save the wick. Because in that case, you've turned the wick into like charcoal. It'll burn better the next time. So what's going on over here? This brings us to an important discussion about Melech's Machsheves, um, which is a requirement, if you please listen to the introduction, to, if you have never listened to the introduction that I gave before, but Melech's Machsheves says that for a person to be liable for transgressing the Torah's prohibition of Shmir Shabbos, of violating the Malachas, so... He has to do that malach in, in a normal, effective, permanent, um, calculated, intentional, purposeful way. And in the event that um, that's not the case, so then he, he doesn't meet all the criteria for malachs machshevas, calculated labor, calculated creative activity. And uh, that being the case, he's actually not high if he's putter, is exempt because it's missing a condition. So there's a machlokus between. Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon is the usual protagonists in that machlokas. Um, whether a malacha she'ena tzricha lagufa fulfills the requirements of malachas moshevas. That, that phrase malacha she'ena tzricha lagufa means if you do a malacha but you didn't do it for the malacha's sake. Um, in other words, there's a purpose for the malacha but you didn't do that purpose. So then the question is, um, since you're acting intentionally but your intention is not to achieve what the malacha normally intends to achieve, are you indeed liable? So um, there are a few different takes that are shown exactly what's going on over here. If it's about how it conformed to the way it was done in the, in the Mikdash, the Mish, uh, excuse me, in the uh, Mishkan, etc. Um, the simplest, um, I think the majority and the simplest example that is given is the case of if a person had a corpse in his home on Shabbos and outside the home was Rosh Hashanah. So the malacha that you would be potentially over transgressing by taking the corpse out of the home be the malach of hotzah. You're transferring from A to B. A is Rishayachet, B is Rishasarabim. When you transfer from A to B, you're liable for hotzah, as we discussed before. The thing is, though, when you're moving the corpse from inside the house to out of the house, what's motivating you isn't that you want the corpse to be in B. It's currently in A, and you want it in B. You want to get the corpse in Rishasarabim. No, you have no interest in that. You don't care where the corpse ends up, particularly. You just don't want it here in your home. So the point is that you're doing the malach of hotzah, but it's not it's not for the sake of of transferring it to be per se at all. You don't care where it goes. You just don't want it here. That would be a malachash and srikh lagufa. Another example, different example. Let's say, for example, you need some sand for whatever reason. So you go into your backyard and you and you take some sand from the backyard. So digging a hole in the ground is also forbidden on Shabbos Midoraisa. If you're 
digging for agriculture and you're making the ground plantable, that would be the malach of chofer, of, of plowing, readying the ground to be planted with seeds. And if you um, were doing it for, like, say, storage, they used to store things underground in the backyard there, so then that would be a malach of bona, of construction. But either way, you're not interested in constructing anything or into repairing or preparing your backyard for anything. You just want sand. So by taking the sand, even though it's true you are digging, but the points by one normally digs is not applicable here. You just want sand. So you're doing a malacha, but it's anatsrich legufa for its own sake. And again, in both the cases I just gave you before, Rabbi Yehuda says, well, you do the malacha and you're liable, you're chayev. And Rabbi Shimon says, no, you're pater, you're exempt from a malacha shenatsrich legufa. In our Mishnah here, the Tanakam is going like Rabbi Yehuda, and therefore he's saying, since you're extinguishing the flame, for whatever reason, you're extinguishing the flame, and you want it extinguished. So it doesn't matter that your agenda is just to save the oil. The point is you're extinguishing willfully, purposely to get it done, and that's how you do malach of extinguishing. And that being the case, you're liable. Says Rabbi Shimon, and in this case our Mishnah, it's Rabbi Yossi, who goes like Rabbi Shimon, that's a malach of You don't care about the fire being out per se, you just want the oil not to get burned up. And that in the case, you're extinguishing, but not for the sake of the normal constructive use of extinguishing, and therefore you'll be exempt from the liability. You're only over an Isra de Rabbanan. The exception to that is the wick. The reason why is because the malacha of mechaba, of extinguishing, that was done in the Mishkan was the making of charcoals, of coals from wood into coal, so you can get a higher temperature when you, when you have to, you know, smelt certain things, etc., and, and use, you know, like a furnace. So, for melting the, the various, you know, the various metals, etc. So, that extinguishing something that's burning, so you'll have, um, like, a coal, so it'll burn even hotter later on, is Trich Lagufa, that's the normal way it's used. And therefore, if you're extinguishing your wick, says Ribiosi, that you will be liable for, because, like Ribishim would agree, that's, that is Trich Lagufa. You're doing it for the very purpose of having a better wick for next time. And that being the case, um, that's, I'll read the words again, Rebiosi, Poter, Bukula, Rebiosi says, extinguishing the fire for saving the lamp or the oil, you're exempt. Chutzman of Pasila, but if you're extinguishing the wick which is burning, then you're liable. Mipneishu Osa Pecham, then you're doing something constructive. You're making um, coal, a charcoal. The, um, the halacha is actually, whether you go like Rabbi Shimon or Rabbi Yehuda, um, is actually not clear. It's a machlokas roshonim down to the Shulchan Aruch. However, um, the point's a little academic because everybody agrees that a malacha shenitzrich lagufa is aser midarabanan. And therefore, everyone will agree you're not allowed to extinguish fire if you don't want it, you know, to save the oil. It's still aser midarabanan. The question just is, it's a machlokas whether you're a chayv to bring a chatas or not.